So welcome to the Pinch of Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Anuwin. Today, I'm joined by Danielle Dolsky, who is here because she has just published the Holy Wild Grimoire. And I was just saying, the book is so beautifully written. There's such like a poetic, lyrical aspect to this. I was reading it going, gosh, I wish I could write like that. (laughs) It's so emotive and so beautiful. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Very happy to be here. (laughs) Your opening chapter, Love Letters on a Deathbed, I love that title. And it reminds me of another book of mine, its favourite opening goes straight into the you know, like the finality of life. Um, and I just think it's like a real like wake up call. And like I say, your your writing is so beautiful and yet it's such a stark opening. Can you tell us why you chose like the opening to be Love Letters on a Deathbed and what that actually represents to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when I wrote that introduction, which I think was the first part of the book that I wrote, because I do write pretty linearly, I gave it to my friend to read. And I was like, do you think that this is too, you know, is this too sharp of a beginning? (laughs) And she said, it's the most uplifting beginning of a book that she's ever read. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, So yeah, love letters on a deathbed. So that um, idea really emerged from this mythic image that I've been holding on to really since sometime in 2019. A lot of people in my family, it seems to be really integral to my family story. We die at home and I've had so many people that like, you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends even that I've been able to go to their deathbed and they've been Mm -hmm. in their house and there's sort of this um, sometimes incredibly long, sometimes years of going and visiting them and knowing that their time on this plane is kind of winding down and sharing stories and bringing pictures and their favorite food and this Mm. sort of beautiful ritual that seems to strangely be pretty common in my family. I know it's common in other families too, but it really became this pronounced theme um, in 2019. And then I actually just had, uh, my aunt just died a few weeks ago and it was this very long process, years of, of going to visit her on her deathbed. And what a beautiful experience it is to do that to you know have this very long almost you know death doulaing experience just to be part of that and so i always think about the ways my life the parts of the chapters in my life are kind of a microcosm for the chapters that are going on in the world story and so be, having that step forward as a theme that wanted to be illuminated in my life while there's so much going on in the world, while we're on this global underworld journey. Mm. So thinking about, you know, what is dying right now when so many of our systems are crumbling and falling apart and and many um, themes that were kind of in shadow are now stepping forward to be illuminated. And so what does that mean for us? How can we leave letters on the deathbed for what was in order to, protect the renewal or the rebirth if we're here to see whatever that might be. Mm. Um, And then more than that, how do you let that be a beautiful experience and not something that could kind of leave you caged in, in apathy or, um, 
you know, just stuck in that turmoil of grief that's uh, part of every initiation, but we don't want to get stuck there, right? So mm-hmm. that was my idea for this, the, the introduction is leaving love, debtor, love letters on the deathbed for the old orphan dreams and maybe what we really were sold as children about what the world was going to become. And now we realize, well, no, that's not what actually We look around and we're like, hmm, this wasn't what I was told. And I love that, actually. It's something you touch on later in the book about being able to hold rage and awe at the same time. And I think sometimes a lot of people that I've worked with and spoken to, they I think they sometimes forget we're complex characters that can hold both. It's like we we seem to fall into this world right now where it's got to be one thing or it's got to be something else. And actually we can be both and all encompassing and everything in between. So I really like that, like that rage and the awe. But something I hadn't realised until I read your introduction was that the word, because you talk about later in the book about that we shouldn't over-romanticise the apocalypse that we're, we find ourselves in. So I want to come back to that. But the world apocalypse, you said it comes from the etymology of lifting the veil. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. You know, if you actually think about the time that we're in right now, it's just a lifting of the veil. For me, yeah. it's just like that whole energy just shifted. And I was like, oh, I can do that. I can do shadow energy. I can do the veils. You know, but right. when you think apocalypse, it's like, I don't watch like horror movies. Like my... I just can't do that. Um, uh-huh. It's like, but you know, the apocalypse is like, like, I don't know, it's like all that awfulness. And then suddenly you're like, oh, if it's just truth, if it's just yeah. the lifting of the veil, it's like, right. oh, we can do this. And something else that you talk about a lot, and I say this, is like, I feel we were born for this. You yeah. know, it's like I just said, I can do the lifting of the veil. I can't fight a zombie, I don't think. I, you know, I'd give it a go. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but I can do the veil. So, so talk to me about, like how you see like that energy of like the apocalypse and how we mustn't romanticize it and how you think your like your tradition, your magic helps you move through that. I know there's like a hundred questions in there, but we'll start yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, it is the question. I mean, that's my guiding question. Yeah. I've been uh, asking myself and then prompting all of the the witches that I work with, you know, in my inner circle to constantly be asking ourselves, why which, why now, why here? Mm. So, you know, if we chose to be here and claim the name witch for this, then that's a big deal. And so why? And not trying to answer that question necessarily, letting it be one of those unanswerable guiding North Star questions. And not just why which, why now, but more pronounced for me this year has been why here. I always think that there might be something of about fate and place. And uh, one of my teachers says, you know, fate is is akin to family. And, you know, we've, we kind of all feel that, that maybe we didn't choose our family <laughs> consciously. Anyway, we didn't choose our family. Um, but also about place, you know, there's a lot of... Um, of context around place that doesn't really feel like a choice. And I think that that became really pronounced in 2020 when people Mm. couldn't go anywhere, literally, right? So um, why, which, why here, why, which, why now are really important guiding questions for me throughout these last three years. Uh, And then, yeah, apocalypse meaning to lift the veil. So I'm I'm an Aquarius, And Me too, the best. <laughs> Sorry, everybody else. <laughs> I'm an Aquarius with an Aries moon. So Ooh. talking about rage and awe, I mean, that mm-hmm. is where I live most of the time. And 
uh, as an Aquarian, I feel that I'm I'm pretty good at having the long vision, and I mm. I can hold the tension of knowing that I might see, not see not get to see how this story ends. And so I think that sometimes we hear the word apocalypse and we feel like it's this sudden experience that, you know, oh, it's here and now we deal with it and this is life now. But really, it could it's this very long, enduring unraveling that could take generations. You know, we don't know that we're going to be able to see the end of this story in this lifetime. So so then what? Right. So then if you're choosing the name witch and you're holding the tension of whatever this apocalypse is, not being able to necessarily see the end of it in this incarnation anyway, then what does that mean? You know, like, then what are you here to do? Um, So my overly simplified answer is like, which the system from the inside, you know, we're, we're here, we're in this, there's only so much that we as one person can change. So we have to witch the system from the inside as much as possible. That's the best answer I've come up with lately anyway. (laughs) Okay. So I have two questions on from that then. Yeah. Why witch for you? What does that title mean for you? Like, you know, mythically, personally, spiritually, why did you claim that title? Or was it bestowed upon you? (laughs) You were born into it. (laughs) It definitely was not bestowed upon me. Um, There there was maybe a a iffy initiation that I went through in my 20s. But for the most part, I feel it's the same. I think we all had those, didn't we? (laughs) Dodgy initiation of some degree or another in all sorts of things. Yeah, but much more meaningfully was me claiming the name for myself, (laughs) which I did actually around the same time, but it was a very different experience um, Mm -hmm. when I decided I'm not going to hide it anymore. So um, for me, which is, uh, well, my universal definition for anyone is a witch is somebody who claims the name witch for themselves and practices witchcraft, whatever that means for them, right? So. And that can mean different things to different people. For me, which it has a lot of agency and sovereignty in it, and yet it's sovereignty within the collective. So I have a lot of friends who are witches that are very different in personality than I am. And so they're very skilled and um, into the magic as the manipulation of energy. And I believe that magic is that too. But I'm kind of always looking at it like it's a conversation. And I always want to be tending not just to my own needs, but also looking at it like, okay, if I'm casting this this spell because I want to move into this epic house, what does that mean for my deep values that are also translatable into the larger collective? So it's not just, I want this house, it's I want everyone to have a house, Mm. right? And so it's weaving in that larger perspective into the actual spell container is something that's really important for me as witch. Um, And it's kind of always been that way, even when my story was really difficult and from the outside wouldn't have looked great, you know, like a broke single mother that was digging through the couch cushions to find money for diapers. You know, even Mm -hmm. then it would feel like I'm casting this spell, not just for me, but for all the single mothers that are digging through the couch cushions. Right. So, so yeah, to me, which is someone who practices witchcraft, but for me, it's that witchcraft has to be 
uh, about being sovereign within the collective and looking at this larger story, because that's a big part of my answer to why, which, why now. Yeah. Right. And I think that's very Aquarian of you, isn't it? It's like that <laughs> I've been holding told. the individual, but also the collective. And it's yeah. and it's not lost on me that we are like in that time of Aquarius. And so mm. it's us kind of finding our own way in the world, how to express ourselves, mm-hmm. but within a collective, not apart or above right. everybody else. You know, it's like creating that community. Um, yeah. So my second part to the question a moment ago mm-hmm. was, I loved what you said. It's like, which the system from within? So yeah. what does that look like for you now? I'm sure that changes from like moment to moment or decade, <laughs> years to yeah. years, decade to decade. But what does that look like in our times right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it seems like at least recently since, I don't know, sometime in 2020 up until now, it's about, it seems to have something to do with resources. And I mm-hmm. haven't, developed a hard-edged articulate answer to exactly what that looks like but it seems like you know uh our resources are allocated in a way that may not align with our values as witches i think we would all love to be paying for things with stones and bones or (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yet the electric company doesn't accept moon blood (laughs) yet yet (laughs) not yet so you know, there's there's certain boundaries of the system that we're living in that I do feel like we're seeing them fall. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of people that uh, one of the things in my book that I say is the remedy for apathy is all. I think that mm. there was a lot of apathy um, and necessarily so, you know, it has to do with climate collapse. And yes, it's depressing. So I totally understand why there's apathy, but letting the remedy for apathy be all like we get to be here for this and we get to be here to see things fall apart that never really worked. And that's, to me, that's amazing. And I feel fortunate that I get to be Mm. here to see this. And I know that other people feel terrified. So I kind of hold that tension. Um, But for me, it seems like, you know, to answer your question, it has something to do with resources. And so, you know, I have these uh, these uh, black numbers on my screen that tell me how much money I have, even though I'm not holding this <laughs> money anymore. And so, you know, that seems to be to be strange, right? That like money's not really real anymore. <laughs> money was. has never been real, though. It's money's just been, been a story, and it's been a story of trust, and we're yeah. having less and less trust. So that's not surprising. That story is starting to collapse. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, what does it mean to then witch that from the inside? You're like, I almost, see, when I, when I see these different systems, like literally as a clairvoyant, like kind of seeing what those energetic containers of meaning hold, a lot of them just look like these big balloons full of dust that yeah. are just ready to like be popped and they're gone. Like they're just so fragile, these systems. And of course that was shown to us a lot in 2020 also, and continues to be shown just how fragile, like mm. these are ideas money and countries and <laughs> all of these things they're just so much a part of the system in which we live they're just ideas yeah that we're you know holding on to so yeah witching the system from the inside for me I kind of think about it like 
pushing the boundaries as far as I can. Like my dad was a great outlaw. He died in 2007. But one of his great lessons was like, find out how much you can get away with, like (laughs) without them coming to get you, literally find out how much you can get away with and then do that amount and then keep, you know, pushing the boundary as that keeps expanding. So yeah, that's how I try to live my life. (laughs) So how do you stay in that energy of awe? Mm -hmm. Because I have to say, I am one of those like, eternal a very annoying eternal optimists <laughs> I can't help myself <laughs> and I, I'm totally with you with that like wow <laughs> what is going on around me but my kind of awe stems into and what can we create next you know what do we yeah. get to contribute to to create if all this is falling down it saves us having to demolish it so we can focus on the creation of you know, that, like you said, holding that balance between the individual and the collective and Mm -hmm. the redistribution of like resources, etc. So what is it that you find so awe-inspiring or maybe not inspiring, but so awe-full? No, that's the wrong word, isn't it? (laughs) Or hyphen-full that fills you with awe for the time that we have now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it changes day to day. I think mm. like the first part of your question, like, what do I do to stay in a place of awe? I really do intentionally, like I'm a fan of intentional awe, like mm. take a moment every day to ask yourself, like, what am I really stunned by in this moment? And sometimes that's a, you know, magical, beautiful, glamorous thing that you're stunned by. And sometimes it's that thing you saw on the news that you can't believe happened. Right. Yeah. So you know, being able to like intentionally be in that place every day is important, I think, at this time. I also do have this, um, I have this strange life right now, where I kind of live in two places. And it's not it's, it's a temporary situation where I need to be in this very built urban place where I've lived for 13 years because of my children. They have to be close to their father. Um, but then we, my husband now and I, we do have this like magical wild land that's about five hours north of the built place. And it's just this place of complete solitude and like nature's really gnarly, like it's under three feet of snow for most of the year. And you just have no choice when you're there, but to be in yeah. a place of awe. And you're also really removed from a lot of the, uh, or it seems like you're removed from a lot, like I wouldn't have protesters marching past my door up yeah. there like you here. And mm-hmm. I think both are important. Yeah. So you know, being able to to have both of those places be a touchstone where I'm like so in it when I'm here with my high speed Wi-Fi <laughs> <laughs> and then Praise being <laughs> very outside of all of that and having yeah. very low Wi-Fi, if, if any at all sometimes up there. So yeah, that duality has really served me. Um, it's been uncomfortable at times, but it's served mm-hmm. me because it's kind of showing me that like, not everybody lives like I do here and not everybody lives like I do up there. Right. So, yeah. So then, yeah. Anyway, I don't know what my point is really. (laughs) (laughs) Just how we keep that energy of awe alive. And like I say, isn't it? It's like that moment. And I love what you said about it's like intentionally choosing it sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's not waiting for it to happen to us. It's like we can create those moments ourselves by setting that intention and just being present to the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Which I think is is for me more important when I'm here, when I feel like I'm in this much more fast paced environment, um, when I'm up in the on the wild land, all just is everywhere all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, I can't believe that I'm I'm eating this food right now that I had to drive an hour to go get versus here. They'll put it on my doorstep in five minutes. <laughs> I know. I, I don't live anywhere where they do that. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've never had that. Like, like you know, those companies that deliver to you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm like totally out of touch with like the modern world. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they don't deliver Getting where I am. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm like, some days I'm like, oh, I wish they would. <laughs> yeah. I want to be in that energy. So yeah. how, you know, talking about all, all the changes that are going on around us, you know, like protesters walking outside, you know, your mm-hmm. your house and mm-hmm. that being very much, when you know, we talk about like the, the new archetypes coming through and like that social activism is like one of those new archetypes that's coming forward for our mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. How is it that you're using your beliefs, your magic, your spellcraft? Because you talk a lot about like word witchery as well. How mm-hmm. are you consciously using that to navigate these times and like create the future that you know you see Mm -hmm. best for the collective Mm -hmm. yeah so I could give this a very complicated answer let's do it (laughs) definitely let's go (laughs) so in my personal spellcraft I do a lot of what I call time weaving where I'm psychically dancing and sometimes leading others to psychically dance with me between the present moment, that thing that I want that might feel pretty selfish or not. It could be, you know, healing somebody or something like that. But there's a vision that feels immediate to me that I want. And then there's the world of the descendants or the future ancestors 900 years from now. And then there's a memory that I have that kind of shares a similar feeling to that vision that I'm calling in for myself. And then there's the world of the ancestors 900 years ago. So I'm sort of dancing, sometimes literally dancing or whatever I'm doing to raise energy, but focusing so intently on these different points. And sometimes I'll throw in other deity can be part of it. Um, uh, the primordial void can be part of it. So there can be different points that you're dancing between. But when you include that world of the descendants, something happens to the spell where it seems like that that crack in time or the shift in consciousness that we're always after in a spell, it just is is ushered in so much more quickly and feels like such a more profound um energetic experience when you're inviting in this idea of, oh, I'm just this vision that I want that's so important for me right now that I'm casting a spell for it. It's still just one breath in this very long ancestral or human, more than human story. And so that's part of it. And so if I am linking the thing that I want to a certain piece of of activism, so let's say, you know, I do want a world where there's no more school shootings, for example. And so I might envision that as a point on my time weaving map. Like, what does that look like? You know, children in school, in nature, in gardens, instead yeah. of you know these buildings, et cetera. So, so I'll invite that into the spell container and it does feel like magical activism. So that's one answer. I also am a big fan of hexing systems, which I won't name any of the systems that I'm 
hexing, but I don't hex people, but I will hex systems. So when I was talking about like the balloon bubbles full of dust, you know, like that to me is what I envision. And I will, I'll try to strike at certain systems that I think are harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. That's what I've got. <laughs> you know, I love it. Going back to, I love the idea of like connecting to the descendants, like 900 years into the future. And I often, for me, when I think about magic, it's like creating those channels to receive. But as you were saying about like the descendants, it's like, oh, it's like you're sending it to anchor somewhere. So instead of just going, here's the starburst, bring it to me. It's like, here's where we're going. And now everything is crystal clear. And that's the path. And, you know, he said it's only felt like a real snap and it was like, oh, there's the change in energy. It's like, because it's not just they're going, however, (laughs) in all ways, thank you very much, better than I expect. It's like, there it is, planted so far in advance that it's it just resonates straight back at you. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and like the, one of the really uh, awe-inspiring parts of that is, your vision is you probably decide on what that vision is. So like to use my moving into a new house example, you know, you would see your hand putting the key in the lock, et cetera. Mm. And you sort of build that. You imagine that as the witch. And since you were talking about word witchery, that is when I would invite people to write it real, like describe that moment. Yeah. Present tense with all of your senses. What does that look and feel like? But then, and then the memory, of course, you would choose ahead of time. But those other points, the uh, the world of the descendants, which I sometimes call the bone world, and then the world of the ancestors 900 years ago, those, I do, even when I work with a lot of people, so I just um, was in this virtual retreat where I was facilitating this for almost 100 people. And even when you do it in a big group, it still feels like those 900 years from now and 900 years ago you they just enter in like so it's not so much I'm sending it to that point in time and creating that point in time it's like that point in time already exists and it's coming to visit Mm. me in the moment as which so those descendants maybe are tapping into something where I'm the ancestor 900 years ago you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's what ends up being really cool. It's like you you imagine and 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 create the thing as much as you can, but then you, it's very clear in the moment that there's this other force that's entering in and shaping the conversation. Um, I think you used yeah. the term weaving, didn't you? T- like time yeah. weaving, and that, 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 you know, that's that's it, isn't it? A bit yeah. from over here, a bit from over here, and who knows where it begins or ends? Exactly. It is just like that. Yeah. Circles. I think in our world at the moment, we're so used to thinking of things linearly that when we repeat a pattern or come up against something again, or when we're like, how can that be forwards, but me forwards and backwards? And and it's like, because we we want everything to be tidy and it's not, (laughs) you know, life isn't, it's messy. It's (laughs) wild. (laughs) It's holy wild, in fact, you know, and it's just like, it's, it's a being able to hold all of it. Even if it seems, seems contradictions, it's like, well, that's what, we are as humans, isn't it? Walking contradictions of complexness. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's something you said that when you were talking, you used the phrase, write it real. Mm-hmm. Now, in your grimoire, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot about journaling. Mm-hmm. And actually, I love how you do your journal prompts. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like filling in the blanks. I'm like, oh. So instead of it being a question, it's like, 
continue this statement. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's really powerful when I was reading through those. I thought that's brilliant. Um, but <laughs> you. do you think it when you talk about word witchery and you've talked about write it real and you were getting them to like write down the key in the door and how it fell and everything, mm-hmm. is it important for you to have people write the words rather than just speak them? Um, is it important for me if I'm, if I'm teaching, um, a group of people would that they write it or just speak it? Is that what you mean? Um, well, no, I think in a group like that, you probably do want them to write it down because a hundred people shouting at you might be a bit much. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, <laughs> t- talking about like word witchery and in the book, there's lots of journal prompts. Do you, yeah. fi- do you find there's real more magic in writing a word down and having word witchery as in writing rather than yeah. just speaking just words? Speaking. I think both speaking and writing are manifestation. I think that as a witch, you always want to bring whatever your art is into Mm. the spell container. So for me, that's writing. I've written for as long as I can remember. I used to write adolescent erotica when I was 11 or 12 years old. Bringing that passion to the witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you look at, you know, what have you always done, like Mm. since childhood, that really sparks your inner vitality that you would call your art. It doesn't have to be painting or writing or dancing or singing. It could be gardening or it could be sex or it could be, you know, whatever, whatever Mm. your art, you feel like your primary art is, invite that into the spell container as part of the energy raising process and your spell gets that much more amplified. Um, but whether it's writing or speaking it or singing it, it's it's still manifestation. For me, it's much more important to do either of those things rather than just let it live in your head. Like yes. when it just kind of lives as thought, um, it just, yeah, it, it doesn't manifest um, as much as it would on the page or in voice. Of course, when it manifests on the page, then you have it. You have like mm. this tangible thing. Yeah. <laughs> and And also what happens when you integrate whatever your art is into the spell container is it's almost always proven to you pretty quickly that the other world, capital O, is part of this dance with you. And when you are writing and you realize that you're, you know, you're saying words you would never say, or all of a sudden there's this vision that you never thought of before and you're describing it, then you have this evidence, written evidence in your own Mm -hmm. handwriting. Sometimes it looks a little funny, but most of the time it's your handwriting that the other world is real and i think that witches even witches that have practiced for 50 years still you need proof that witchcraft is real you need this continual reassurance because we live in a world where we don't get that but from other people or the overculture so we need to constantly prove to ourselves that the magic is real i always prompt my people like if you have a spell that comes true you've got to celebrate that moment you've got to do something weird make it epic otherwise you'll just end up discounting it like a couple of days will go by and you'll be oh, like it's a coincidence <laughs> yeah exactly it's <laughs> yeah. gonna happen anyway no so anyway so yeah when you write you have a kind of tangible uh, experience of that you can go back and reference mm. where the other world is participating in the spell container with you. So that's why I like writing. Speaking is good. Singing is good too, but you know, it's fleeting and then it's gone. You could record yourself, I guess, but who's going to do that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love to encourage people to write because like you say, there's something about reading something that feels more real 
mm-hmm. if you've sung it, spoken it, which absolutely still has that power. But mm-hmm. you can always discount it, like you said, discount it. It's like, oh, maybe it wasn't quite as powerful as I remember. But when you see it written down, you're like, yeah. oh, it really did happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was my experience. And that is how I felt, particularly when we can be overwhelmed by the stuff of the moment, <laughs> shall we yeah. say. And it's very easy to go, oh, you know, sink under all of that stuff. But then your writing is there to say, oh, but this happened. And you're yeah. like, oh, I remember that now. Exactly. I just had somebody message me this morning and was like, how do I know when the spell has worked? Like, how do I know to call it good? And, you know, I have any number of moments still where I, I'm usually in my my personal witchcraft, I'll make these spell jars and there'll be different things in them, but I'll have a write it real if it's a manifestation spell in that jar where I'm describing that moment of fruition. And I still have so many moments where Months later, I'm like opening my old spell jars and I read the write it real and I'm like, holy shit, it really did. (laughs) (laughs) And if I didn't have that and when I cast a spell that doesn't have that, I know it's a little bit strange. It's like maybe that moment I wanted came to fruition. Maybe it didn't, but I don't Mm -hmm. have anything I can go back and reference to be like, oh, yes. Because our our new way of being becomes very normal very quickly doesn't it and then when you see that oh yeah my gosh there was a time when I didn't have this isn't this amazing that I'm experiencing that now yeah (laughs) because something else you mentioned in the book um the holy world grimoire people beautifully written um was spells manifestation like you were just talking it also is one of banishing yes can you speak to that yes absolutely um so Sometimes I think, me too, even though I guess I really don't remember because I'm 42 now and I started casting spells in my early 20s, but probably, (laughs) me too, when people are new to spellcraft and they're sort of giving it a go and like, you know, am I doing it right? Mm. And you're sort of referencing all of the witch books to find the right correspondences. There's kind of a hesitation, I think. I think it's a common experience. There's a hesitation to banish because it feels like, am I really ready to let go of this? What if I actually need this? I feel like I don't want it, but what if I actually need this thing in my life? Or what if I will need it? It's sort of like almost a magical hoarding <laughs> or something. I wonder if, yes. <laughs> I wondered if, it's, if a fear of banishing is the same as a fear of death, if it like comes down mm. to that, that, you know, really we fear like banishing. Edging our bets, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but whenever you manifest something you're banishing all other possibilities for what that thing could have been so to use my house example that i've been referencing if i'm choosing to cast a spell i'm going to move into this house here's my hand turning this key in this lock i'm banishing all other possibilities for what other house i could have moved into i'm deciding it's this house right and so um thinking about like the um the the primordial void so we're about to come up on the 13th moon void all of next week around that full moon is that 13th moon void when we really want to like protect it and not really do anything and let it like look at it like this is the primordial womb from which the entire next year is going to be born Mm -hmm. and so when you are manifesting something, you're letting all of that energy become, like get distilled and become something. Sometimes I talk about like, you know, think of having a blank canvas and the witch 
is just standing in front of that blank canvas and it could be anything, right? That's that 13th moon void that we're coming up on. This blank canvas could be absolutely anything. But as soon as you put that mark on the canvas, that first mark, it's going to be something you've decided. Like it's going to be at least this, right? Mm. And so you've limited what was once infinite potential. You've distilled it and decided it's at least going to be, it's going to have this mark at least. I don't know about the rest of it, but it's at least going to have this one thing. <laughs> so you've, ban- you've banished all other possibilities for what that painting could have been, right? And so that's, to me, that's what manifestation magic is. There's sort of this brave heartedness that you have to claim, like when you're saying, I'm manifesting this, you know that you are then eliminating all other possibilities for what you could be doing at that time or where you could be going or, yeah. So manifestation is banishing and then banishing is manifestation. So you can say, you can almost always make a list of 10 things that you don't want anymore in your life. So fears and or beliefs that feel limiting or whatever relationships that have been outmoded names that you don't want to claim anymore. You can almost always make that list. And then if you flip everything to its opposite, you can see, Oh, that is what I want to manifest. Mm. Right. And so, and same thing, if you make a list of what you would want to manifest and then you flip it to its opposite, it's almost always what you would want to banish. So. Yes, it's the same. It's no, the I really, I love that what you said about magical hoarding, because it is that, isn't it? It's we 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 know, or a lot of people know what they want, but they don't consider the other side of the balance, which is well, if I'm choosing that, it means I can't have all of these other things. Yeah, but people are like, but I want it all. <laughs> you yeah. know? and it's like yes, but for you know, for you to be able to intentionally create. Your energy yeah. has to be directed into, like, like you say, that one house with the key. Of course, you might end up owning four or five houses, but there's going right. to be one main residence, isn't there? Yeah. You know, and when you have that one, it means that the, all the other possibilities are now tethered, tied, you know, sent away. Right. Yeah. 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 And it is like the argument that I have with some of my, my witches who maybe, um, are like, you know, I wouldn't call them magical hoarders, but they aren't a fan <laughs> of, I, I often say that sometimes a sacrifice is required. And I've had a lot of witches argue with me about that, that it's like a holdover from my religious upbringing or something like that. Mm. Like, no, you don't have to sacrifice. You can have anything that you want. The possibilities are limitless, but I really don't believe that. Like, and I don't believe it because nature exists in balance. Like, you know, we don't just have the trees and the flowers and the gardens ever blooming. Like, you know, they have a death time and that death time is now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really do feel that it's all about balance. And, you know, a witch is kind of able to be intuitive about when is it the right time to manifest and when is it the right time to intentionally banish and, and how is that going to look in the landscape of my witchcraft? Because, yeah, we can't just always keep swelling and swelling and swelling with all of the things that we want without acknowledging that we're letting some things go. Otherwise we end up that balloon full of ash. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> full of all that, that stuff that should have just been let go when it, we realised it wasn't working and just yeah, see you. Exactly. Yeah, rather than getting ready to pop. Um, going back to touching on, you mentioned like the seasons-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tentatively bringing you back obsessed by nature. I love the lessons from nature. And, you uh-huh. know, we can't, can we? We don't have the flowers blooming 365 days a year. It's, it just mm-hmm. wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but looking at like the elements of the seasons and the elements that are associated with that a lot of well your whole the book and the grimoire are based on those elements what is it for you that like first got you I don't know like attracted to the idea of elements for you to really have see the value of working with the elements for you then to go on and like base your work on that yeah it's it's a pretty simple answer it 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 came out of me teaching a lot and having to really think about what are the few universal containers that I can name um you know if you so my entire mother line is Irish. So I have a lot of Celtic and Irish mythology that I weave in. And a lot of it is in that book, but that's like, you know, that feels like a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what if I'm teaching somebody that it just, you know, that doesn't resonate. They're part of a different tradition. What if I have a lot of people coming together to have like difficult conversations, then what's a common lens that we would all share that we could look through. And so the elements have been and have worked for me in that capacity for more than 15 years. So everybody, you know, we're all human. We're all of mm. the earth. So we can feel how the earth element is stable and dense and heavy. We can all feel what water is as a fluid, almost sensual, even sexual, creative uh, element. We can all feel like what fire is and the power behind (laughs) fire. So the elements, they are a lens that I look through in my books because I feel like it's a common experience and everybody can kind of, if nothing else, all of the witches or witch adjacent, witch curious people can come together and kind of get what I'm saying when Mm. I'm referencing elements and not necessarily something that would be more specific to a certain tradition. Yeah. Do you have a favorite element to work with? Well, <laughs> I always feel strange. Like it's like I look, I'm obsessed by trees, and it's like I have favorite trees, and then sometimes I feel like I'm being like cheating on the other trees, you know. So to ask <laughs> you if you have a favorite element might not be fair. It's like I really love earth element. A lot of my work is based yeah. in nature, and I'm a I, I I consider myself a very grounded person, and I'm always yeah. like, you want that manifestation? Bring it to the earth, make it manifest. So I'm I'm very happy, like playing in the earth um do you have one where your energy like naturally lies or that it's easier for you to like work through that lens of yeah I definitely feel more at home in the earth element Mm. I like I think I can look at like the places I prefer to live and be and their woodland forest places there may be water there but it's not like sea right um so island (laughs) It's not an island and it's usually cold. Like I really do prefer it cold. Uh. (laughs) And so the earth element, you know, being heavy and cool, like cold mud, like that's, that's kind of my preferred place to be. If I'm casting a spell where I need what I call the shock of the strange, like, like I think that our spells can sometimes be amplified when we stun ourselves in the (laughs) spell container. Um, Then I might invite fire in because I do have, like I in Ayurveda, I'm a I'm a Pitta, so I don't know if you're familiar with Ayurveda, but I ha- so I have a lot of fire in me, and yet I'm kind of like afraid of it. So mm-hmm. I, 
yeah, I have like fear, like if I'm naming like my biggest, most irrational fears, it's like fear of the house catching on fire. Right. Right. So I'll invite fire into the spell if I really need to have like a kind of like little bit of agitation in and not necessarily be warm and super comfortable like I would be with earth. Yeah. Right. Posing at home. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then water. Yeah. Water is maybe my kind of blind spot, I guess. Um, I mean, I like working with water. I like that we need water, (laughs) but I don't really, uh, even, even when I'm talking about like scrying, like I would much rather scry in fire, like pyromancy Mm. or in a stone, like with a crystal than I would hydromancy with water. Like water feels like a, um, something that I really appreciate and have a deep reverence for, but it's not really mine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Switching tack slightly. You said yeah. your your heritage is from Ireland. Yeah. Great myths. Um, obviously stories from there. And I know you talk a lot about like the mythology in your books. What are the yeah. myths do you think are gonna help us navigate these times? I keep saying oh. these times, it sounds very grand, doesn't it? But it does feel like we are in grand times. So <laughs> we are in grand times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Um it's yeah, there's something really powerful about looking at stories, whether mm. they're stories from your ancestry or or other older stories, as being alive. And as not being something that like, oh, they, they told that story thousands of years ago. This is exactly the way it is. It's weird. Mm. And we sort of cage it in the past in the way that we might cage our ancestors in the past. There's something so much more potent about looking at a story like it's malleable, like it's breathing. And so even though it's technically old, you're still inviting it to be a teacher for you now. And so, you know, that as being a guiding force in my witchcraft for the past, I don't know, five or so years has been probably the most healing practice because Mm -hmm. a story can um, like give you a necessary container to see what you need to see. And so, you know, in, in the Holy Wild Grimoire, the first story in there is Dear Woman, which is the Irish myth of Sive, which is an old story. It's a, it's a true myth. And yet, whenever I tell that story, you know, people are like really identifying with, with Dear Woman shapeshifter and they're, um, you know, analyzing the shadow man as being parts of the overculture and, you know, systems that we might not like and feel like they're born of the collective shadow so you know even though it's an old story we don't want to lock it there we want to bring it forward and let it illuminate something now and let it breathe so in that way stories are medicine but they're you know they're not like a static medicine in a bottle they're like somehow a medicine that's gonna uh, like be able to change with us and give us exactly what we need in that moment so I suppose yeah. that was always the power of having an oral tradition, wasn't it? Probably that you would yeah. share you would share a story and then you mm. would slightly change it for your community or your yeah. landscape or 
oh, that person over there needs to learn a lesson. I'm just going to tweak the story yeah. to like hold that mirror up at them. But yeah. of course, as soon as we started writing them down, and of course, yeah. hello, we both write books. Yay for writing them down. <laughs> but um, suddenly they became more static and less, yeah. not heartfelt, because obviously they're still written with heart, but you, we, they, they just became, like you say, just, more just um in a cage then it's like oh yeah. that's the story that's the way it has to be but right. actually for a millennia before that's not how they were they were shared they were changed they right. were you know names were changed to protect maybe the innocent but you know or the, the activities <laughs> they did were slightly changed to create that lesson of that moment so yeah that's, yeah i don't know i think exactly. that's one of the things for me about the, like the witchcraft like you were saying it's like working with the land and the elements it's all alive it's about mm. embodiment and not just spectating yeah yeah it's like yeah, living exactly. it yeah i think uh i just told a story last weekend and somebody was like the last time you told that story you said that it was the full full solstice moon in summer and i was like well yeah but now i'm telling it in autumn and so that happened under the full so it's going essence. to change <laughs> the essence still remains the same isn't it funny though isn't it like someone's like oh you've done it differently and it's like yes because yes, <laughs> we're in a different space yeah <laughs> um medicine for our times is kinship that's the line that you wrote in the book. Uh, obviously, <laughs> putting your words back to you. Um, <laughs> how do you see that playing out as we move forward? Because you've used the term kinship a few times, and you know, it's like, what, what? How do you think we can cultivate that as individuals, or in our communities, or within our families? Mm -hmm. Like really stepping into that collective. Yeah, I mean, I think that relationship is prob well this is not a profound statement i think i think and i'm sure many many people think relationship is the remedy to the poison of just overt individualism and greed mm -hmm. and and the bigger toxins of our time um how do i see it unfolding Honestly, I think that there's going to be some really gnarly, difficult uh, chapters that we're going to have to move through until more people understand. I was very hopeful in March and April of 2020 because I really thought that, you know, oh, this is our chance. Like I really I had been saying for about a year before that, like what we need is a big kind of at least national here in the United States. I'm sure it's mm. the same where you are too now, right? Like a big grief ritual. Like let's all go in the streets and cry it out and stack stones yeah. or whatever we want to do. And so, and then, you know, COVID happened and I thought, this is it. This is, this is our big grief ritual. You know, there's going to be, I really thought there's going to be bodies in the streets. Like mm. let's do this. This is what we've been waiting for. And then, of course, it didn't happen quite like that. There were bodies in the streets, but we sort of, I feel like it was a missed opportunity. And um, in a one of my teachers, Michael Mead, he talks about the stages of a, of a collective initiation. So not an individual initiation, but a collective initiation as being 
you know, the severance, there's a big change that happened, there's no going back. And then there's that liminality or that void time. And that liminality, the void time has to turn into what he calls communitas, which I think is Victor Turner's term, sociologist, communitas, which is where everybody just realizes like, oh, we are all in this right now. And it doesn't matter what political party you belong to or whose hat you wear, like you're just so in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, grief or just complete, um, you can sometimes sense it at a concert, right? Where everybody's just like, so there in that moment. Um, and that if you don't get there, if you, in order for communitas to happen, Michael Mead says all commerce must stop. And we didn't do that, right? We were like, yeah. oh, we got to keep it going. We got to keep it going. Let's give everybody money. <laughs> so yeah. everybody. And I think that that was it. Like if we had allowed commerce to stop and still somehow ensure that people would be able to eat like and and I don't think it needed to be that long of a period of time either we could have maybe come out of it better and we didn't and so then what happens well we keep reliving it like we're just going to stay in this cycle until that we get to whatever that communitas is mm. and I think that that does need to be, I mean, if we watch the apocalypse movies, like it does have to be some big, major, seemingly external thing that makes us realize, oh, we really are kin. We really are all in this together. And, you know, for whatever reason, we're just so resistant to seeing it in the places where it already always exists, but we take those places for granted. Um, like death, you know, like we, nobody's made it out alive yet. We're all going to die. If we kind of woke up with that understanding, you know, we'd realize we are all in this together. Let's just do our best yeah. for the time that we're here. Right. But there's such a resistance to that. So, yeah. You're mentioning grief. And I think we hold a lot of grief collectively, individually. We don't allow people to grieve because a lot of people can't hold space for grief. You know, they're, oh, they're, 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 it'll get, it'll, it's okay. It will happen for reason, you know, and they just try and placate it because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Something that I feel is really important is like to bring back ritual as a way of moving through those kind of processes. And I know that you talk about ritual as well. Um, do you have like rituals in your like daily life? You know, what kind of rituals do you think are important for us as people or collectives to really for me, like that ritual gives us a moment just to pause, to step out of this stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. and to, to have that moment of connection and to bring more, more meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were talking about grief, I was like, yeah, to have that ritual to like to move through that process. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of people have stepped away from religion where they would have been rituals for them to like navigate through that. And I don't blame people for stepping away from <laughs> religion the way that it's, um, it, you know, expressed today. But mm-hmm. with that has gone the importance of the rituals and the ceremonies and the rite of passage as commonplace. Where does that play in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote I wrote this thing that I, is in one of my other books, Seasons of Moon and Flame, and it's called Where Do the Churchless Go to Sing? Mm-hmm. Right? Because yes. like, we still need that. We yeah. still need the coming together and singing regularly, you know, once or twice a week. Yes, mm-hmm. great. That's one of the things that I look back on my um, incredibly religious upbringing, at least for about 12 years of my life, and thinking about like, wow, I really got together with a bunch of people 
told stories and sang twice a week. Like that's cool. The rest of yeah. it was terrible, but like that was <laughs> cool. Yeah, the and, gathering, the community. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, now we don't have that. So so yeah, I, I think that ritual is incredibly important. I think that everyone needs something that invokes a momentary fleeting presence in their day. And if that means you're waking up in the morning and lighting three candles like I do, it doesn't take any time. It's the first thing that I do in the morning. So I have no excuses for why I didn't do it, right? Because I just like go to my altar and I do it. And I can always, even if the rest of my day is terrible, <laughs> even if all of these unexpected things came up, I can go to bed at night and be like, well, this morning I lit those candles and maybe I spoke a prayer or something. But, you know, it was a short, simple ritual that I did. I think that we all need that. Like we need yeah. a kind of touchstone personal ritual that's just ours that you sort of do no matter what. Like, really, there's a discipline to it. Um, and then communal ritual, yeah, we need those too. Those to me don't need to be daily. Um, mm, no. And I know that they probably couldn't be for a lot of people. But like this time of year, for instance, I love having silent suppers, um, mm. which aren't silent with my people anyway. They're, they aren't silent. But it's like coming together and just talking about one of your dead people and telling the stories about them, putting their picture on the co-created altar and it's simple and it doesn't have to be very organized you make the dead people's favorite food right and it's kind of this informal thing but everybody's i mean talk about grief and gratitude being together mm. in the room right because everybody's crying but eating and laughing and it's just this beautiful experience that i think we all crave this time of year like, yeah. you know, and every season has that. Every season has a thing that's just in our bones. Like we just know, like, this is what we're supposed to be doing right now. If you can find a small group of people to do that thing with you, <laughs> that's a big, big deal. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned this time of year, you know, recording the 2nd of November. Um, so here in the Northern Hemisphere, we just had Samhain with the veil is at the thinnest. We're in Scorpio season. It's like, whoa, right. veils all over the place. Um, and you talk a lot about, and you've spoken today about the ancestors. How important are they to, in your, like, in your life or in your practice? Mm -hmm. yeah, the ancestors are um, almost everything in my practice. I mm. think that um, it's important on so many levels. It's not just that the, the certain symbols or mythic images that I'm using or, or working with in, or deities in my spell container are of my ancestry. I feel like, you know, like I said, that the stories are still alive. I feel like the ancestors are still alive. And so I think that, fear of death is probably one of the greater wounds that we have in Western society. And when you work with your ancestors, you can really see, like my friend, uh, Madam Flame, she says, death is a door. Death is just a door. And so you can see that like, oh, they are on some plane. They are still real. You just have this proof that, as a witch that like, it's not just your imagination because you had never yeah. thought about these things or heard these things before. So when you work with the ancestors, you get this proof that they are still very present on some timeline, some place that we don't need to necessarily name, I don't think. Um, so 
yeah, ancestors are incredibly important and thinking about the medicine that the earth-based ancestors, I call them the way back still here ones, like (laughs) the ones that are, we don't know their names because they lived so long ago. What did they have in their worlds that we really need right now? And maybe the more recently dead generations in your lineages also needed, maybe even more than you do. Right. And so how do you figure that out and try? And a lot of it happens psychically, I think, rather than Googling and going down the ancestry rabbit hole or 23andMe or whatever. So what medicine did they really have that you could feel and can you carry it forward and let it be uh, uh, the the medicine for the the remembered dead um, or the wounded dead? And then also you. So that you become the, you are like the living ancestral altar. So as a witch, that's incredibly important. I have a lot of witches that like, just don't want to work with their ancestors at all because the story that they remember isn't good. So if I'm prompting Mm -hmm. them to like work with their father's father's lineage and they're like, well, he was a terrible person. I don't, don't want to. And I have to say, it's not him is you have to go back to like the original blueprint, you know, yeah. to, to uncover what the deep medicine is. Yeah. When you talk about the original blueprint, are you talking about the original br- blueprint of the entire lineage or of that particular individual? No, the entire lineage. The entire yeah. lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I can say that's probably one of the things I come up against for, you know, when people say to me like, oh no, but I, I don't like my family of origin. How do I work with my ancestors if, yeah. you know, they've left their family of origin for, for you know, for valid reasons. So yeah. w- what would you say to that, that people then go back to like source or like a spiritual ancestor team or, I mean, yeah. what's what's your experience of that? Yeah. Uh, well, my personal experience of it is that I primarily work with my mother's lineage. So they're all Irish. And yet I have a very difficult time with my mother and actually haven't spoken mm. to her in more than 10 years. So it's not the, in some ways, my, I'm not a good example of that. What I just said is not a good example of that. But in some ways, the people that have lineages that are more in shadow, where they're like, well, I can't really work with my grandparents' lineages because I don't really know who they are. In some ways, that's better because mm. the you know the known story. There's no really emotion block. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so it's better if there's some mystery there. I think, um, and it's not necessary to really um, you know have befriended all of the the grandparents or all <laughs> of the family of origin. And in some ways, I think it's better if you don't. Like it can sometimes be a more fertile and healing inquiry or practice. If you just go back through the realms of deep time and you can do this in path working or uh, if you work with dreams at all in dream work and see if you can find like a an ancient ancestor or a primal ancestor that can be your guide. I mean, in the same way that you would work with a spirit guide or um, a, a death priestess or psychopomp guide, mm. like, but you're looking for a specific ancestor and it's easier like to me in my experience because I was introduced to the idea of spirit guides or angel guides pretty early on in my witchcraft 
and I could do it because I can get into that state pretty easily. But when I started working with my ancestors, it was like, oh, they've been here the whole time. Like, it just feels like even people that have a difficult time with path working or this idea of spirit guides or like the, the other world being so close to us or laid right on top of this one. When they start working with ancestors, they're like, oh, that was pretty easy. Like, I actually yeah. could see that this this woman, you know, pretty easy. And it's because, yes, you are her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why it's, we, yeah. we can't help but be human can we because i had some characters uh spirits uh, characters come to my home and i was like oh what are they doing here and they're like we've been here the whole time it's only now that you're seeing us and i was like oh yeah there i am being human again <laughs> <laughs> thinking they're coming to me and it's like no this is our land and i was like yeah. oh yes so yeah it's like you know, even now, <laughs> I still get reminded you're still being human, Rebecca. And it's like, can't help it. That's that's how yeah. I'm here. So, what as you look back over your experiences, your witch witchiness, mm-hmm. what's one thing you wish you knew at the beginning, or one thing that you wish you had paid more attention to as you move forward? Hmm, that's a good question. One thing I wish I'd paid more. Well, I do. Mm, I do wish that I'd paid more attention to my ancestry earlier, maybe mm. when there were people around that I could have spoken to about it. Yeah. Um, now and and even you know for the past 10 years there's my family's very small so the people that know things like the practical things like when did this that they move back here etc those answers are just gone so I do wish that I had dug into that a little bit sooner and yet you know maybe it wasn't meant to be maybe there's secrets that are meant to stay (laughs) secrets that I'm not meant to know certain things so that and then another thing that I always think of, and I never articulate it very well, but there's these moments that I talk about a lot in witchcraft, and I think there's a ton of it in that book where I'm talking about these feeling mind moments, these moments where you felt like you were the most you you could possibly be. Mm. Like when I was talking about whatever your art is, you just feel so fully you in that moment. And I wish that. That had been presented to me sooner because I do feel like my childhood and um, teenage years, and then certainly like I moved to Ireland when I was 18. So it was certainly when I lived there. I wish I had paid more attention to what those moments were. There's certain moments I remember, but I know that there's some that I missed. And I remember like some of them. I remember like staring at this full moon uh, right after graduating high school and my dad was there and it was this like, should I go to Ireland or should I stay here? Because if I went, I was going to be totally broke and probably homeless if I went. And like that moment felt like it was just full of anticipation and like a real crossroads moment. And I can look back on that moment as a real teacher and kind of pivotal point in my story. And I wish that I'd had an elder during my younger years to point me toward doing that more, because I think that, um, you know, we can really just tell so much about the stories and the myths that we are living when we look at those moments. 
And yet nobody tells us to do that. And so we kind of write them off as like, that was nice. And then <laughs> it was like you were saying, like you were saying earlier, wasn't it? About write it real. Those moments yeah. happen and they're just part of our day. <laughs> you know, they're just, yeah. they don't seem spectacular in that moment. And yet right. it's when we were fully embodied and everything would have been just flowing beautifully. And then yeah. life. <laughs> and then, yeah. then we just stepped out of that moment. Yeah. yeah, and then it takes us like decades to go. Hang on a minute, this isn't right. The life I'm living doesn't feel like it's aligned. Where did I go wrong? Right. And it's like right. that moment at the moon. Had someone just said, "This is you. This is yeah. like your, you know, your essence, your being." Yeah. yeah, this is important. Yeah, and I think about like the way we used to live, or even my grandmother lived. Like they were just the whole day would be spent in work, like, you know, um, cleaning things and, and growing things and gardening and how much time you would have for thought in those mo long moments of knitting or, you know, yeah. whatever it was that you were doing. And you probably would be reflecting more on what those feeling mind moments were when you were engaged in that slow work, right? And we don't do that. Yeah. And I say, and, and also those things, because my nan was a knitter as well. Yeah. Um, but it's very rhythmic, isn't it? It's very meditative. Yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, there's a phrase, isn't there, for knitting? I'm not a knitter, like, you know, over and under <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, it's just like that rhythmic, or even when you're cleaning something, there can be quite a beauty yeah. and, and rhythm to that, or just tending. It's about yeah. being mindful. And, and again, especially with the gardening, it puts us in the moment. It makes us think, oh, this is the time for weeding. This is the time for harvesting. This is the time for sowing. Again, just bringing yeah. us back to the elements and how all of that is important in our lives. Yeah. So what one thing would you recommend to the people listening if they could just add one thing or a couple of things to their life to really help them like connect to that themselves, but also to help navigate <laughs> these times <laughs> to uh -huh. navigate, like, navigate yeah. their own personal storms, but also like the, the wider ones that we seem to be surrounded by at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny cause I'm like prep prepping for this coven session that I'm having this weekend. And I'm going to be talking about the 13th moon, which is mm. next week. And I've been working with for a few years now, this idea of the three R's of the 13th moon, which are rest, ritual and reflection. Mm. <clears throat> and, and, and so I'm like writing all of my notes down about these things. And I'm like, but really, you know, yes, this is the 13th moon void, those five days that follow cross quarter Samhain. So this year in the Northern hemisphere, that's November 7th through 12th ish. And, but we're in, a, the, we're still in the void, like I was saying with the collective initiation. So, you know, mm -hmm. are these the things that really, you know, yes, let's do them now, but also let's keep doing these things. Um, as you know, the medicine that we need for these times of complete uncertainty. So rest being what brings you uniquely a sense of rest, which I think is different for everybody. So um, one of my astrology teachers, she taught me, a lot, and it was August of 2020, I remember, because it was such a profound learning experience for me, <laughs> that your, your moon in astrology points you toward what self-care is for you. And so for me, as an Aries moon, 
rest or self-care is really doing things like it's it's action it's it might be walking or painting or something but it is an action versus bubble baths and things that bring other people rest don't I get intense anxiety if I take a nap like if I fall asleep during the day if I wake up I'm like what did I miss (laughs) see my cancer moon would be quite at home with that (laughs) snuggled up on the couch with a cup of tea (laughs) yeah no what happened what did I miss so rest being whatever feels like rest to you and it's Mm. to everybody and then Ritual, really what I was naming, a small, simple ritual that doesn't deplete your resources that you can do every day. So lighting the candles, asking yourself one question, think about what you're grateful for, like those small, simple rituals that don't take a lot of time, energy or money. And then reflection is a big one because that's the non-judgmental reflection. So it's looking back on the last year and asking, not lamenting, you know, what dreams did you not achieve or where did you want to go that you didn't go, but looking back and looking at it like it's a whole story that you can behold. And, you know, what were the best moments of that year? What was the, what were the peaks of joy? And then the depths of grief and sort of pulling memories like you would pull Oracle cards and seeing what story steps forward. So yeah, that's, I feel like those are, I mean, I know those are three things, but rest ritual and reflection as being a kind of remedy for uncertainty and feeling like you have to have all the answers when I do feel we're living in a time when that is impossible. Like yeah. nobody knows what's going on. Be skeptical of anybody. <laughs> they know exactly what's happening. They don't. Even yeah. the greatest seers I know, you know, they're seeing things and they're getting information. But like, as far as like, how, how does this all end? Like, I haven't found anybody that knows the so answer. To that the question. veil hasn't quite lifted yet. No, right. <laughs> Pocket yeah. energy. We're not quite there yet. We're in what I call caterpillar soup. Not where we used yeah. to be. Not quite the butterflies. We're in that yeah. mushy. Imaginal oh, soup. These are the times. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. What is one thing that you would request the audience to do? And I've said this before to people, it can be it can be completely go get your books. Because <laughs> obviously <laughs> I've got this this one here, the Holy Wild Grimoire, but it is the companion book. So they might need two. Um <laughs> but yeah, what is the one thing you would ask? So whether it's like you know to go and purchase your book or whether it's to uh, like prioritize rituals so they can ground themselves and go out into the world and have that ripple effect of maybe encouraging other people to be more grounded too you can have two if you like (laughs) (laughs) buy the book and do something else (laughs) if I can have two then yes buy my book and um I think that what I was naming about the feeling mind moments like that's my go-to advice for just about anybody Mm. for anything no matter what they're going through is like feeling back mine as in belongs to me. Yeah. No, feeling mind. Oh, like, mind. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Feeling mind. So it's thinking about what are the most think. Well, first name your life chapters. So yeah. go through your life, life story, name all the life chapters that you can think of knowing that they don't need to be evenly spaced in terms of linear time. So yeah. like, for instance, 
um, I was naming when I lived in Ireland, that was only about six months. And yet it was definitely deserves an entire chapter in my book versus I do have this almost eight year period of time that was just a bizarre, weird time um, (laughs) that I would probably just give one or two chapters (laughs) at the most. So name your life chapters. And then within each of those chapters, see if you can name the feeling mind moments. When did you feel the most you you could possibly be? These are fleeting moments in time. So this isn't like I was super happy when I lived in Ireland. It would be like, oh, I was staring at a sheep for uh, in a, in, on a I was staring at a sheep on a Welsh mountain outside of a hostel, and I swore that the sheep was staring into my soul. <laughs> <laughs> They can do that. So that would be like a feeling mind moment. It's this sense of like the universe is seeing me right now, or like this is somehow scripted. Like, so log those. It takes some time to do it well. It's not something that you can necessarily do in an hour because you'll keep thinking of them then, right? Um, But name as many of these feeling mind moments as you can. And then look at the patterns in those moments. So Mm. are you always alone? or often alone? Are you always with community or often with community? What about the time of day? Sometimes people notice that it's always morning or always night. Um, What elements are dominant? So like we were talking about how we're earthy people. Most of my moments are like mountains, trees, forest. Um, versus other people might name swimming in the sea or or hearing the sound of water or waterfalls, right? So look for the elements that are dominant and then look for the art. Um, Some people have a lot of movement. Some people have a lot of stillness. Some people have certain things they're creating in those moments. So what would those be? Some people have music is almost a requirement um, for them to experience this feeling mind thing. So look for the patterns and then do more of it. whatever your patterns are create conditions where you experience that more as much as you possibly can Mm. because that's you it's like pointing you toward trying to orient you toward what is the most you version of you you could possibly be the the youest you yeah Uh, woman of my heart that is absolutely Thank you. That I think that's a perfect place to wrap this up. So where can people find you, learn about you? Obviously, you've got your books available. Where else can people find you to connect with you? What's the best places? Mm-hmm. And of so course, everyone, I, these will all be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so I teach I teach primarily through the Hag School. So that website is thehagschool.com. My website is mm-hmm. which is mostly my my books and my personal website. But yeah, you can definitely connect to me through the Hag School. And the books are available in all the places. So yes. And there's Fabulous. how many are there? There's four books and then there's an I have an Oracle deck. The sacred yes. Hag Oracle. When when I saw that I was like, oh, I love that. I love <laughs> I just love the name Hag and Witches. It's like a real reclamation for all of those words. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like the people living on the edges because you know, my understanding of like hag comes from like the hedges and the edges. And it's right. just like, that's what we want. And in fact, um, I wrote this down, witches live on the front. This is from your book. It says witches live on the fringes so they can be better see the whole. And yeah. I love that. It's like, yeah, yeah we're just there, just watching. Yeah. <laughs> just, exactly. just, we're just there, always there. Even I think one of the things about walking this path, whilst 
yes, it's becoming way more common and, you know, it's, I guess, more accepted. It can still feel quite isolating for people. Yeah. And it's just like, just knowing we're just all there <laughs> on mm-hmm. the edges, yeah. making that circle together. It's like, oh, yeah, witches are never really alone, are they? Chatting no. to the elements and the, the characters that come into our life. So yeah. thank you so much for today. I've really enjoyed um, co- our, our conversation. Is there mm-hmm. any anything else that you wanted to mention or any last words for the audience? Any last words? That's quite pressure, actually, wasn't it, to ask that? But it's just like, <laughs> like, was there anything else you wanted to mention that we didn't cover? I think I was like, we've done quite a range, haven't we? But <laughs> uh, just you know, we are. Yeah, we're. I forget what you called them, but what did you say when you said these times sounded very? Um, Oh, very grand, wasn't it? Very <laughs> like... grand. Yes, thank you. We're, we are. We're living in very grand times. Yeah. And so, yeah, living on the fringes as the hag or the witch, it's important. Like the the trickster archetype is uh, not that the hag and the witch are, are always the trickster, but there mm. is a trickster energy to the hag and the witch. And the trickster never lives in the center. The trickster yeah. does not want to be seen or be on TV or be celebrity because then everybody knows what they're doing, right? So if you're like living yes. on the edges, you can do a lot of things that are kind of your secret. And that's yeah, a yeah. great thing. I always say that as like, I often refer to myself as like a, a, a stealthy ninja. And yeah. that when I'm working with my clients, I was like, I'll take you down to the depth and bring you back up laughing. And you'll be like, what the hell just happened? And they'll feel amazing because of it. You know? It's like, don't always have to have everything centre, do we? So, yes, yeah. thank you so much. And enjoy your rec- retreat this weekend. And I know people are going to love this. So thank you very much.